What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. Uh, my apologies, we were actually out last week. We we're going to do a Super Bowl episode, but things got a little crazy. But we're back this week, and we have a fantastic guest joining us on the program today. Uh, he's a friend of T-Bird Cooper, who was on this show just a couple months ago from Survivor Africa. They were uh, tribe mates for a little bit there. Um, of, of course, she got the better end of things in that immunity <laughs> challenge back in 2001. Um, but we're going to talk with him today. Before I bring him in, before I introduce him, uh, make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita Show if you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast. And if, I'm sure we got some new listeners today. You can go back and check out my conversation with T-Bird. Also spoke with another Survivor icon a few months ago, Stephanie LaGrosa. Um, so make sure you guys go back and check that out. But I don't want to waste any more time because uh, we're really glad to have him joining us. He was he finished 10th. Was it 10th place? Yeah, 10th. 10th place on Survivor Africa back when Survivor was a big deal uh, back in 2001, the third season of Survivor. And he's also carved out a nice little media career since then, um, covering some high school sports, covering a lot of local Detroit sports. He's been pretty big in that Detroit market, and he's coming up on 20 years now in the industry. But he doesn't look like he's aged a day since his days from Survivor. Please welcome Clarence Black. Clarence, welcome to the show. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm even better having you here. Well, listen. So you told me off air that that T Bird told you I could I could be a little uh, loose with my lips. So <laughs> here's here's what I'm gonna do. So if I am loose for every moment that I am not completely and totally G rated, I will donate fifty dollars to the charity of your choice. Okay. So that that is how serious I am awesome. about maintaining the G standard. PG. The, you can, the PG. So it's PG. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. Like PG from Survivor China. Yes. And I appreciate my big sister T-Bird giving you that warning. Although I promise T I'm going to behave. <laughs> I promise T and all the listeners that Clarence Black will behave. <laughs> all right. Very good. So Clarence, um, we were chatting a little bit off air, but I'd love for the listeners to know a little bit about your background in sports. I know you grew up playing sports. Um, what were you? Did you grow up in the eighties, early nineties? Who were your favorite teams, favorite athletes? So for me, it's simple, man. I'm a, I'm a Detroit kid, so I grew up at the height of the Tigers, and I got a chance to see the Wings and Pistons as they were coming up. So I was really blessed as a young sports fan because the lions was were coming off of billy sims right to barry sanders and so here in detroit we had the young steve eiserman and then we also had um, isaiah thomas so when i grew up i grew up in this world where we had barry eiserman isaiah and then also the tigers were always contenders in what was the american league central but the, or the East, American League East at the time. Yeah, the ALEs. East. So, you know, in 1984, the Tigers win the World Series. The Pistons were in the Eastern Conference Finals from 1987 on. By the late 90s, the Red Wings were a perennial contender from the late 80s and had a, almost a 20-year run. So, and even the Lions, you know, when they had Barry, they were always, you know, he was always exciting to watch. So, 
as a young Detroiter, man, I was I was just blessed that every single one of our teams had not just a superstar, but just had a, a collection of people you could gravitate toward and and fall in love with. So it was just the it was really kind of a heyday of the of the eighties for our young guys coming into the nineties when they really all became champions. So, you know, from the wings and then the, the Tigers made their little, you know, well, and not so much maybe in the 90s for the Tigers, but it was just always just fun growing it's, up in Detroit. It's not so fun these days, is it? <laughs> no, it's it's a uh, see, almost almost got me. Almost got me. That would have been 50 bucks. <laughs> it's it's tough, man. It is it is slim pickings. You know, the Lions are uh the Lions, I mean, the Lions are an embarrassment. The Tigers are trying to figure it out after. And let's be fair to the Tigers. It was years of success, right? I mean, you're in Chicago, I know. So I always said that the, I, I felt like the AL Central year in and year out was always extremely competitive when you got Tigers, Twins, the Royals won it. Um, so, you know, it it they were they were there for a long period of time from the, the early 2000s into, you know, 2010s and struggling as of late the pistons you know again it's just we're almost 20 years removed from that 2004 title and it's just hard to believe and now they're in a new building palace is gone so you know and the red wings after just dominating the league for you know close to two decades of just continual success you know they've they've kind of fallen into the tank but we do have eiserman who is now in the front office so our our fingers are crossed but it's just, and then don't forget, we got Michigan and Michigan State that are forty-five minutes apart. So, even though they're not pro teams, they've always felt and been covered like they were pro teams, specifically basketball and football. Yeah, and Clarence, um, in addition to all of that, I know that you've done, as I mentioned, a lot in terms of sports media. So, uh, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into this industry? So, it for me, it's really easy, man. I was sitting in Africa and Mark Burnett just basically said, hey, when this thing is over with. So this was, mind you, this was the night I got voted out. Mark Burnett told me that there are going to be a lot of things, a lot of opportunities come your way, and you're going to have a chance to go in some different directions. So take the ball and run with it. And so when I got done with Survivor, um, the program director, it used to be WDFN, the fan at the time, uh, Greg Henson. I thought I had something and had me come in and do some guesswork. And then uh, from there, Rona Danziger, who became the new program director after him, allowed me for some opportunities. And from there, a couple years in the radio, I started doing some TV work locally, just some college basketball and college football, what used to be Comcast television. And then I got with the MHSAA network, the Michigan High School Athletic Association, and the last 14 years. My partner, Jason, and I have been doing the boys semifinals. Occasionally, uh, I'll do the girls and we used to do the PSL championships. So just been able to carve out a, an, an awesome career here locally, along with doing some voiceover work and some some acting in local commercials, things like that. So I've I've had a very interesting career <laughs> on top of on top of being an army officer the last 12 years now This is my 12th year. Uh, being commissioned officer in the Army Reserve, just came off of a 10-month deployment to the Middle East. And so my life is crazy. And by the way, thank you so much for your service. I mean, we don't do enough for the servicemen and women in this country, in my opinion. Um, I, 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 I need to do more than just say thank you, but thank you for now, I guess. 
No, it's fine, man. It's uh, it is a it is a brother and sisterhood of service, and you know, I always tell people I was never in a fraternity. I was never a fraternity guy, but I feel like I am. I am a member of one of the greatest uh, fraternities, sororities, whatever combination of the two on the planet, because every last one of them that is served and will serve is I consider a family member. So it's um, it is less than one percent of the people in our country serve. And so when you see people, you got to understand that, you know, when you when you swear and you take that oath, it, it changes you, you know, for better or for worse, it changes you. And what made you want to serve? You know, it sounds cheesy, but um, I'm a proud American and it's certainly not perfect. Right. You know, I think right. that if there's anything that we can take from our current climate, it's that passions run high on, on the left and right. And so what I tell people is that I honor everything about that flag. I honor what it can be. I honor what it was. I honor the people that, that fought for it. Um, America is a phenomenal place. It's worth fighting for. I believe that. And I will believe that until the day I expire. That's why I do this. It sound, I know it sounds cheesy. It sounds like recruiting video or something like that, man. And it's, uh, but I do, but I, I wave the flag for everything that it, that it can be in my goal. And in my lifetime is that I'll see some significant changes. And I think we are seeing some significant changes, even in the midst of the divisiveness. I think we're seeing, a, a, I think we're, I think we're actually, believe it or not, going in the right direction. They say it always gets worse before it gets better. It's, it's pretty worse right now, but I, I truly believe it'll get better and it'll get better under our, under the banner of our country. That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, so again, Clarence, I said it was cheesy. I admit it. I, I'm <laughs> I'm cheesy about that stuff, man. I mean, hey, Fourth of July. I wore a shirt that was basically an American flag, and people. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, people were like giving me a hard time, and I'm like, you know what? You have the great thing about this country is you might not see things the way that I do, but you have that right to see things differently yeah. from me. Yeah, and that's that's what you fight for. You know, I will fight for everybody's right to believe something different than I believe. And that is, that is, there's no greater, I think, honor that a soldier has than that is to stand up and say, I'm going to fight for you and you. Oh, and also you who I couldn't disagree with more, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go fight for you too. And that's what we do. Amen. Amen. So Clarence, uh, going back to sports, I also know you played Division II college basketball at Hillsdale College. Um, we played Hillsdale. I went to Valparaiso. I didn't play. I covered okay. the team for the school paper. But we played you guys as a preseason game. I think it was 2016, my senior year. Okay. It was a nice little opener for us. <laughs> I believe that. So, uh, no, it was – man, it was an interesting four years. Hillsdale's an, an interesting place. It's uh, a small school. Um, Christian conservative. Uh, some people would say right wing Republican, but it was a great education. I met friends that I'm still with, still friends with to this day. A phenomenal education, and again, it, I was exposed to people who did not. I did not grow up in in those political households, and so it gave me the opportunity to really expand my views and and meet people. And I think you kind of start to understand. You know, we're all really we're all really the same regardless of where we grow up or what political ideology we mix into. 
So, and it was four years of, of college basketball and uh, my education paid for. My mom never had to pay for my education. So I'm, I'm very grateful to Hillsdale College. I do not share all of the, pol- the political ideology, <laughs> but I will, uh, I will forever bleed a little uh, blue and white. And it's, it's a place that was very good to me. And I appreciate that. Now, Clarence, you mentioned that as a Christian school. Is faith something that's important to you? It is. It became important to me. Now, I was a world-class heathen for most of my <laughs> life. Proud heathen, in fact. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, early on in my in my broadcast career, I got into some hot water because I had an adult entertainer on my show who let loose with her. Very good, by the way. Very good description there. Yes, we did not bleep it in time. And so she had an F-bomb that made it across the air. And I thought, you ever, I mean, I, hopefully you never experienced this when you think to yourself, like, and I was under the clear channel. So it was, I was working for clear channel. And I just remember thinking like, man, my broadcast, not only is my broadcast career going to be over with, but I'm thinking like, I'm going to get some fine that I can't afford. And I just remember sitting in it because I, and I still had an hour of the show to finish and I was sweating. It was just getting toasty all in here. <laughs> I was just thinking like, I don't the lawyers are going to call me. I was like, ah. So... <laughs> I say that to say that I was uh, I, I was very very crazy as a young man and and stayed far away from the church and you know back in 2013 uh, I met my now wife who was always a friend of mine and she was very much into faith and she challenged me to explore that with her and that's probably why she's my wife now man because had I not done that I would not have the relationship that I have with God now and and. I'm very strong in my faith. It's, I am not where I would like to, to be, but it's a journey. You know, I still have questions, you know, but I always say like, God knows my heart and uh, I provide him with a daily source of entertainment. I think that's what, <laughs> that's what T would say. If, if, if the Lord, if the Lord has a, it's got the remote control out. I like to say that every night at about seven thirty, he's, he's tuning in to me. And he's probably just shaking his hand like, what is what is this boy doing now? <laughs> That's awesome to hear. I'm also yeah. a man of faith. Uh, my relationship with Christ is at the center of everything I do, every decision that I make. And I think what you said is really uh, poignant. We can never really be happy with where we're at in our relationship with God until we're actually with him face to face one day in heaven. Yeah, yeah you and again, it, it goes back to what I've learned in, in the service, too. And, and I tell young soldiers that it's a journey and you don't want to make permanent decisions based on, sh- you know, short term situations. So I have, I'll have soldiers to say, well, I'm leaving the army and I'll sit them down and I say, OK, why, soldier? Why do you want to leave the army? And I say, well, I hate this unit. And you have to tell them, like, you know, you're only with the unit for a short amount of time. Your army career is broad. And, you know, there are people that I've met, you know, it, it, I go to Detroit church and, and one of the things that our pastor, pastor Sonny Smith talks about is people who have experienced what he calls church hurt and being at a particular church where it was a negative experience. And then all of a sudden it'd be like, well, church is not for me. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And it's like, no, you know, human beings are, are, are fallible, you know, and we don't always get this thing. We don't always get this thing called religion, right. And faith, right. And so I think what I had to learn, because I, I never thought of myself as having church hurt, but I think I had had so many negative experiences growing up with the church, specifically with the black church, that I just kind of stayed away from it. Because I'm like, wait a minute, 
this church is in the crappiest neighborhood in Detroit, and the dude driving the nicest car is the pastor, and you want money from us? And I remember thinking as a as a young man, like, oh, that's a hustle. I'm like, man, that's not that's not real. That's a hustle. You driving a Cadillac and you asking money for people who are catching the bus to come and see you. Like, no, man, I don't. So I that was just some of the the things that were impressions of mine growing up. And as I've gotten older, I've obviously matured a bit. And especially as I've I've matured in my relationship with with um with God and and I've I've learned that I am at my best when I am asking questions <laughs> instead of making assumptions. And it's allowed me to have a very more in-depth relationship with God. And, and that has impacted me as a parent and as a soldier and as a husband. And so I'm definitely, definitely on the journey like you. Yeah, that's very cool. I think that you, you mentioned church hurt. And I think that's so, it's so terrible that there are people who are wolves in sheep's clothing that prey on the mm-hmm. flock and they know what they're doing and they're, going to have to answer for that one day and it's not going to be a good answer to the things that they did on this earth but it's just like really anything like you know they're good and bad restaurants they're good and bad schools and they're good and bad churches yeah well i think it's also i mean you can you can add that hurt part to anything right you know one of the things that i learned being in this business is how many there's a there's a there are and you probably have learned this too the reality is that there is more talent than there are positions. So at any given time, and it doesn't matter if it's acting or professional sports, the most talented people don't get opportunities. And so opportunities are, are rare, right? I mean, opportunities are, you have to, if you get it, you got to go grab it, which is why I think it's great what you're doing because you're creating your own opportunity. You're not waiting for someone to give you something. You're just taking it. And that's a lot of what you have to do to get past some of that hurt. I know so many people who had a negative experience. I call it broadcast hurt or that, you know, they come out of school and, you know, when you come out of, out of broad, specifically people who went to broadcasting school, I didn't. People who come out of broadcasting school, you come out ready to take on the world because that's just what school does for you. And then you come into a world and you realize to your point, you know, you have those wolves and wolves that are sitting there with all of their food are looking at these young, hungry broadcasters. And they're just that kind of not going to help you. I don't care where you came from, you know, because they've got their two hour slot or their weekend slot. And so everybody is protecting a fiefdom, which is why it's, it's so hard to get into that, into that business. And so there are so many people. I mean, I know someone who's an, uh, an attorney now and they were, they should be on ESPN, but they couldn't get past that initial. And their whole thing was this industry's toxic and it, and it sucks and they won't let me blah, blah, blah. And they just went completely right. And it's unfortunate. But, you know, so whether it's church hurt, broadcast hurt, school hurt, whatever hurt, whatever that thing is that I think can push you to a negative about something. You just got to kind of pray and, and hope that people find their way back because, man, there's so many talented people. And there are so many people out there who, who do have church hurt that don't want to go. And I hope that if they can hear us, I would encourage them to try and find a good church. I hope that, that the Lord will put his hand on them and encourage them to get back to a church of their choice. And because and, that's really what it is, man. If it, would not, if it was not for my wife, I would not be back in church. So mm. I'm very thankful 
that God put her in my life when he did and gave me the, the courage to put my ego down and, and my assumptions down about church and be open-minded uh, or I wouldn't have the relationship with God I have today. It's an amazing testimony. Thank you for sharing. And you were just giving me some great advice about the broadcast stuff. And before we move on to the sports stuff, I just got, I feel like I should tell you, the thing is, is I got really sick my senior year of college. All of a sudden I had these thyroid problems and I ended up having to have surgery to remove my thyroid. So God was able to carry me through my senior year. But then the next few years of my life, I had to just live here at home with my parents and just try to I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't exercise. And then I had thyroid surgery. Um, and that took about a year to recover from. And then I finally got healthy. And then guess what happens in 2020? Everything shuts down. And so I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm in this spot right now. How can I make the best of it? What can I do, God? And that's how he brought me to doing this. Well, and I'll tell you something else on a, on a separate... I lost my dad in 2004 and my mom in 2018. And so you are blessed to have them and to give them the honor of taking care of you yeah. is as a parent of four, I can tell you there's nothing on the planet you hold as dear. You will never know because you don't have kids yet. Not so yet. You will never. Not that I you, know of. Just kidding. I, when you, so when, when you do have your, when you do have your first child, you can give me a call. Because you will realize in that instance that everything you thought you knew about love goes out the window. And T-Bird can tell you, I love watching T on social media with her kids. It's just, there's nothing like it. So I, I am telling you as much as it's it sucked for you to go what you went through, for your parents, there is no greater joy than being able to comfort your child. So, and that is a gift that, um, you know, your parent, you don't want it as a parent because you don't want your child to suffer, but to be able to take care of them is such an amazing, it's an, it's an honor for them and a gift for you. Amen. Yeah. I mean, God brought me through all that. He allowed me to go through it. I grew a lot in my relationship with him. And then all this other stuff that I'm doing right now came as a result of me. Cause if I had gone out and taken a job somewhere, I wouldn't be able to, ha I wouldn't have time to do this. I'd be working oh, no, 40 hours yeah. a week. And this has been amazing. It's allowed me to meet people like you and so many other great people. Um, so I'm truly thankful, but I'm also especially thankful for all this time I have, I've had with my parents because I know they won't be here forever. They will not and definitely cherish it, young man. <laughs> I will. So Clarence, let's start here. I got something. I think this is very good because we're talking Michigan and you mentioned Michigan, uh, University of Michigan, of course. The headline in college basketball this week, Jawan Howard, he's been suspended five games, which is the conclusion of Michigan's regular season by the university. Uh, NCAA just slapped him with a fine. This comes after throwing, swinging at, I guess we could say swung at uh, Wisconsin, one of Wisconsin's assistant coaches. And there's a whole drama with that before in terms of, Jawan called, a t or uh, he didn't like that Greg Gard called a timeout, but Jawan was pressing before all of this. What is your take on this entire situation? So for me, I look at it a little bit different in that I saw Jawan have the issue with Mark Turgeon in the Big Ten tournament in Maryland. And I kind of thought, you know, so here, here's, here's Jawan 
being essentially out of control. He had to be restrained. And then we have an issue at Rutgers. So now this is the third time that Jawan Howard has been in one of these, these incidents where there's been an issue with the other team or the other team's coach or whatever. So it, it now demonstrates a pattern of behavior. So that's one. And that's where I think, and I, again, I don't know, but I'm assuming behind the scenes, that's probably one of the things that Michigan specifically kind of laid out was you need to have some anger management or understanding because now, you know, this has been three separate times where you've looked, you know, you, you've gotten out of control. You've got to contain your emotions. And as far as the fine from the NCAA, I, that, that was going to happen. Specific to what happened, my issue as a player is we are down 15. And I posted this on Facebook, which is that, you know, people always say play to the buzzer. Play to the buzzer does not mean now and has never meant play to the buzzer. You play until the game is competitively out of reach, right? So here's an example of play to the buzzer. My team is down 30 with five minutes to go. More than likely, we're not coming back. At that point, I understand that I'm going to put in my subs. I want my subs to play hard for the remainder of the game. That's played to the buzzer. But I don't expect up 30 for the opposing coach to go out there and run his press. Like, you're up 30. The game is not in doubt. Yes, you all want to play to the buzzer. I also don't want you out there, you know, people throwing it off the backboard and doing crazy. There's a there's a way to play the game out without playing the game all out to the end. And I thought that Jawan pressing up 15, it, it just was kind of Bush League. It's like, man, the game's in you. The kids fought hard. Wisconsin's better. I thought it was pro, primarily a great game. Michigan struggled to score, which is why the game became a 15-point margin. I thought it was it was competitively played. Michigan doesn't have the horses aside from Dickinson, the big man in the middle. Um, I think that the Abate is going to be a great player, but Wisconsin's better. And at that point, man, hey, let the game play out, shake hands, get on the bus, go home, and get ready for the next one. To press, and, and here's the thing, if I'm Greg Gardner, you're pressing, and we have a turnover with it, I'm going to call timeout because I want to get my team together and say, hey, listen, we got to finish the game out. They're still pressing. Hey, I don't want to finish the game giving up four straight turnovers. Coaches hate that. Right. Think of how many times we've seen uh, the Belichicks, the Tomlins, the, you know, you think about the great coaches, uh, Greg Popovich. They, they don't care what the score is, is they're coaching to a standard. And the standard for the Patriots is we don't turn the ball over. We don't do certain stuff. So how many times in those four, remember Brady, they'd be out there 45 to 14. And then something would happen and he, Belichick would be on the sideline going crazy or better yet, saving. Every Saturday when they play one of those cupcakes, right, they're playing like Jack Vita Tech <laughs> and they're up 55 to three. And, you know, there's an interception and Saban's going up the sideline, just chewing tail. And it's and people are like, what's the matter with coach? And it's because he what he understands is coaching. We I have to coach them to the standard of our program. And so in that instance, if I'm Greg Gard, I'm like, OK, look, hey, they're playing this out time out we got to run our press breaker because this is what we do this is how we play so for Jawan to get upset about it I just thought like man well, wait a minute 
you're pressing, you want him to just let you. It just as the so I've thought about this as the play. If I'm the player, I'm like, oh, man, coach wants to press. Like, why is coach pressing? Why are we pressing with 45 seconds left in the game? All right, uh, we'll press. Then if they call timeout, he's like, well, I should have called timeout. It's like, well, coach, we pressing them, man. Like, they want to call timeout to get the ball. They couldn't get the ball over the timeline. So a lot of it was much ado about nothing. But, you know, I I think coaches in in game is just such an emotional. And this is hard for the average person to understand. There are a billion, a billion emotions that are going on when you are playing a game. And I don't care if it's college, high school, pro. After the fact, you can take the time and look and say, and there's been a lot of times when I've had great coaches that in the heat of the moment, I've gotten my, I remember getting chewed out once. And then Monday sitting in film session and coach saying, Hey, CB, you had that right. That's on me. That's and the moment you're filled with emotion. And that is why, you know, again, pastor, uh, you say, he said like about taking a moment, taking that moment to just, you know, pray or just like, Lord, like just, you know, um, just to not respond and react. Right. You know, we talk about it. I think in, a, in the military, we tell soldiers the responsibility now of being on social media is don't hit send. Think before you hit send or think before you respond. And I think if Juwan and, and, and I and I also I blame the assistant coaches, too, because that's where your assistant coach is supposed to stand up and go, hey, coach, um, it's a minute. It's a minute left. Let's just get on the bus, man. That's what your assistant. So I'm kind of looking at the assistant coaches like, what were you all doing? Who co-signed? Let's press with a minute to go down 15. That's your job. You know what I'm saying? That's that's like that's where I would I would turn to them and say, like, hey, what are y'all like? What are we doing? Is I if I was if I was Ward Manuel, the Michigan AD, that's where I'd say I'd, I'd sit down with everybody. But I'd not say, hey, you guys are the assistants. You're supposed to be the advisors. Right. Um, did anybody say maybe let's not press or, hey, let's like you all are supposed to be there to kind of be the, the checks and balances. And, uh, you know, like the president's got a staff. Your staff as a head coach is your assistant coaches. They're supposed to make sure they got a finger on this thing, too. So I just thought it was a fail. And I really thought it was a failure on both staffs part. Right. I thought it was a complete failure all the way around. So I'm not surprised at what happened. What happens next for Michigan? If the, if there's another incident where Jawan, it's a little more milder, such as his confrontation. Yeah. He, it, I'd be surprised if, because again, remember, like I just said, it's become a pattern now. Yeah. And, and you can't go, and this is, you have to go sit in living. So here's an example. If Jack was 6'8", 230, could jump out the gym and was one of the best players in Illinois. And let's say, you know, season. So April 15th, there's a knock at the door and, and Mr. And Mrs. Mama, Mama and daddy Vita, <laughs> Jawan Howard, all six ten of Jawan Howard is there. Cause he wants, he wants Jack to come to Michigan. And now what has mama and, and daddy Vita been looking at the last 60 days, right? Jawan Howard being what out of control, and as a parent, you you at the very least you like listen. I'm gonna, I'm giving you the greatest thing I own. You are your parents' most prized possession. You, your brothers, your sisters, whoever. If you are an only child, you are your parents. You are your pride. Your you and your your siblings are what they value most in life. 
And when you go into a living room as a recruiter, you are telling these people, I'm going to take care of you. So how is Juwan, how, and that's really what I'm interested to see is how is he going to be received on the recruiting trail by, by coaches and by parents, by kids, you know what I'm saying? Like, are there going to be kids out there? It's like, I saw somebody post something like, yeah, man, I want to play for coach like that. Like he don't take no crap. And it's like, <laughs> your mom and dad might see it different man <laughs> so it, it's it's it'll that's what's going to be interesting to me is how is this going to translate to recruiting and we're going to learn a lot about nil right because at some point some kid may go well look i'm getting a million dollars to come to michigan i don't care how you act i'm coming Right. And this is where NIL has changed things because it's no longer a death sentence now. I mean, it's like kids are going where the money says go. So this is going to be interesting. How he handles that, how he navigates that. Clarence, I'm offended that you don't think I'm six foot eight, two thirty. <laughs> Man, if you were six eight, two thirty, we would not be having this conversation. <laughs> it would be me. It would be me interviewing you about about what you're doing with the Bulls or something like that, man, or or, or you're a senior at, at IU or Illinois or <laughs> like, Jack, tell me about the number 12 of fighting Illini and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's what it'd be. Well, actually, I was a baseball player, so I'd be like, okay. I'd be Aaron Judge, basically, if I was 6'10". Well, and how much of a mess is that, man? Uh, so little known fact is I'm actually, my first love is baseball. Grew up playing baseball. I played baseball before I played basketball. That was my first love. My favorite team of all time is still the 84 Tigers. Um, Even though the bad boy Pistons are a close second, the 84 Tigers uh, with Gibson and Trammell and Whitaker and all of them. And it's just to don't bring up 84 to a Cubs fan. (laughs) I know, (laughs) but I I mean, it, well, and and here's the thing, my, so the Tigers are my one team one and the Cubbies are my team B because my grandfather, guy rest his soul was a Cubs fan. And when I would go out, when they retired, my grandfather retired from the autos back in the mid eighties and retired out to Las Vegas. And they must've been doing okay. Cause he could afford cable. <laughs> and I learned about this thing called superstations. So yeah. I, I would go out to, that was the thing I remember about Vegas is I went out to Vegas and, and would watch the Braves and the Cubs on the superstations. But this thing is, um, I tell you what, it is a, it is a mess. And I don't know why, doesn't it seem like every few years ball will kind of lull you to sleep and make you think they got their stuff straight. And then it's just these, you know, um, these CBAs just come up on you like, like vampires. Like, I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't we, didn't we figure this thing out? Yeah. Didn't we just do, didn't we just do this? So I cannot believe we're back here with this and it looks like they're going to, the season's not going to start on time. And that's yeah. amazing to me. Given where we are, that blows my mind coming off of last year and the last two years specifically. Man, that it just my mind is completely blown, brother. Last year, as you mentioned, was a I thought it was a fantastic baseball season. You had a yeah. lot of new guys like Otani and Tatis yeah. and Acuna before he blew out his knee. All yeah. these guys who you ha- are going to have to build a league around for the next 10 years. Like, this is yeah. what we've been wanting, this is what we've been needing. And we're dealing with this other crap and like you said 
it's not even if they get this season started on time, which I've been fairly optimistic that it will happen for a little while. And now we're starting to get down to this this week is just these next three days today, tomorrow, Friday. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out. And um, now it's not looking quite as good. Even if they do get it on time, we had the most inactive offseason where there's no conversations to be had about this sport. No conversations like at this time last year, I'm planning my MLB preview series. I'm getting ready to go to some spring training games. And now we might not even have a spring training. There's a situation where when this deal gets done, it ends up being like two years ago where they just work out at their own. They have the summer camp thing and they work out at their own ballpark. Spring training's amazing. We need to have some news, some player movement, even when the sport's not going on, that isn't just lawyers and attorneys and arbiters. Well, and not only that, but kind of to your point, I thought coming off of COVID two years ago in the COVID season, yeah, last year went about as well as it could possibly go. Last year was a perfect blueprint for what you would want after not having fans in the stands for you. So now to to not be able to build off of that momentum, but then also just the number of, I mean, you got player questions. Where's Trevor Bauer playing? I mean, you got to figure that out. I mean, you have some significant questions on some significant rosters. And then you got some people that, I mean, I, if we start this season with, with this weird, this maybe week-long camp instead of an actual spring training, does that benefit the pitchers or the hitters? Are injuries going to go up? I mean, you're talking about, you know, arms that are, you're talking about a $40 million arm? You know, so I, do I believe that that these guys are out working out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I refuse to believe Max Scherzer is not putting his work in. Same thing with Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole. And uh, there are there the guys are doing the work. But you know, and I know, it's different when you're not doing that work with your catcher, with your pitching coach, with your in your facility. It's a, it's, it's. I don't think there's any sport where rhythm matters as much as baseball, right? Because it, the sport is really when you have that many games, you're gonna have you can you can kind of get yourself in. I mean, you think about the Braves last year. I remember being deployed and looking at the Braves, and it looked like a train wreck, with the exception of Okunia. And then they just kind of found a what, – what do we always say in baseball, right? They found a rhythm, right? They found a rhythm. And all of a sudden now you get going, people get healthy at the right time, and it just and, – and once it gets going and the Braves just literally just rode this thing, and then you look at the Dodgers, and the Dodgers, is, as much as they, they got to the AL or the NLCS, did, did it seem to me like the Dodgers never – they were never in a rhythm. Like they were trying to find the right sheet of music. All and you could almost visibly watch the Dodgers. Like they would be harmonizing, and then somebody would kind of come in <laughs> off key. And that's yeah. the beauty of baseball. Is just is kind of just just watching it. And then I tell you, just here locally, man, I loved, and I mean, I absolutely loved what AJ Hinch is and and what they've done here. Because this team has become, I always say this, if, if you're not going to be a championship team, you got to at least have a product that people want to get behind. And I think A.J. Hinch has brought that, man. It's a, there's a feeling now about the Tigers that's been missing for a significant number of years where people actually want to go see these guys. 
I was just going to mention the Tigers. They they made the big splash. They bring in Javi Baez. They might not be done yet. Correa could still be on the table. Spencer Torkelson is a very promising young player. Akil Padu, Badu, he made some splashes last year. And then that's not even mentioning this pitching rotation that has the potential to – I mean, I guess it's a fair question. Someone asked me this last year is, would you rather have – the Indians pitching rotation for the next five years, the Tigers. And there's a conversation we had that you might take the Tigers with those young guys. And I think it comes back to this, right? If, if we're talking about maximum, because I think that's what you have to do when you talk about young, young staff, who, if you max, if you max them out, which rarely happens, right? I mean, what's the old saying seldom realize our greatest hopes and our worst fears. So even if you're thinking that neither one of these rotations are going to are going to max out, if you just look at just if you look at just who can who can get to consistency, I think you have to lean to the Tigers because we're already kind of seeing in terms of how they finished the year that I mean, this could be this could be an amazing group. Now, Javi Baez is going to be a windmill, but I mean, <laughs> he's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> I think Javi, he's like the best highlight reel. And for a while, <laughs> for a while, people were like, okay, the best highlight reel is one of the best shortstops in the league. I don't think he's that. He's a fun player. I think he's more of a complimentary piece. He's not a main attraction, but I'm excited to see him. I also think that what the Cubs had really had over the last several years was something that was diminishing each year and they didn't have a lot of consistency in that lineup. They're just like Chris Bryant's your best player, but he can't stay healthy. And I I really want to see him in a situation where he's on a good team. That's a little more, there's a little more stability and consistency in the lineup. Cause then I think what he does will be bring a greater value to that club. Well, and think about this too. And I think this is one of those things. I think Javi is the kind of player, Javi wants his team. And it was never going to be Javi's team in Chicago. It was just, it was never going to be his team. I think it can be his team here. And it can be his team. I think AJ can say, Javi, it can be your team without you having to hit. I don't need, we don't need 30 home run Javi. It would be great. But I think if Javi can bring defense and stability and leadership and that was one of the things, I don't know if you remember this, when we had Ian Kinsler, Ian Kinsler wasn't, I mean, Ian Kinsler wasn't Hall of Fame numbers when he was here, but he brought a professionalism and a consistency. And that's how you get rhythm. And and if you think about when people talk about the Braves, when, the Bra- when it was April and May, they kept saying the same thing about the Braves. Like, man, these guys like each other. There's some leadership here. You know, I mean, at that point, Freddie wasn't doing much. Acuna was carrying them, but it was like, yo, man, these guys aren't down. They like coming. They like playing together. It's a, it's a, this group, if they can, what, catch some rhythm, if they can string some, some wins together and, and, you know, get some things going, this is going to be an interesting group. I feel that way about Javi. I think Javi can be that, that Kinsler from a few years ago and just, he's, he's just going to lead. He's going to come every day. He's going to go to work. And I think that's when Tiger teams are at their best. And if we can get something out of the big boy, I don't know what he has left. I don't even know how old Miguel Cabrera is, man. Like I'm, conv- <laughs> I'm convinced that there's a birth certificate buried somewhere that's going to tell me Miguel Cabrera was born in like 57. And this whole time he's been scamming us. 
But if we could get something out of our geriatric big boy, then it might be an interesting year, man. I think the Tigers last year, they had a losing record in the month of April. And I, th- I think they had a winning record every other month of the year. Yeah, I mean, they just had such a bad start. Yeah, that it's like it, a historically bad up. start. It was like three and nineteen or something like that. But they were, I mean, and I got, I only got a chance to watch them a little bit while I was uh, deployed. But man, they were fun to watch, and they were fun to watch. And that's when I think that's what's beautiful about baseball when you get when you get your team and they're in it. And I don't mean in it in terms of you know they're in first place, or but I mean when they are like in the hunt and. They're chasing, and I mean, you could argue that the most exciting team of the last two weeks of the season, I don't know that anyone played as hard or had as much fun as the Seattle Mariners. I mean, they were so knee-deep into it that the last two weeks, every single game had a playoff atmosphere, right? And that's the stuff that's that's beautiful about baseball. And then those, I mean... Was anything was anything more intense than those those Dodger, like it, the Dodger Padre games were like just those random July, yeah, like don't like don't like each other, <laughs> just like oh this is great. So I'm just I'm I'm hoping they get it squared away because I, mean, I love baseball and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what the year's gonna bring. Yeah, me too. I remember last year talking. I talked to an NL executive. Um, who I will not say his name, but I talked to him and I was like, what's going on with the Giants? And he's just like, none of us get it. We don't know why the Giants are winning all these games. Like, It's like the we were comparing it to the 2005 White Sox, where it's just like this team yeah. of guys who had all had a career year at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. And, and you, but the, again, that's the, that's the beauty of baseball. You catch a rhythm. I mean, what was it? The 2000, I think there was a 2006 um, Rockies, right? I might have been. 07. Uh, 07. Oh, okay. So 07. That they had, they won 21 out of 22. And it was what, 21. It was something ridiculous yeah. that you, if you went to Vegas and laid, I, every casino would give you those odds. It was <laughs> like they hit the lottery. Like who wins 22 or 21 or 21 out of 22 to make it to squeeze in and then get to the World Series? So, that's the beauty of this game is just sometimes the craziness, the, the ridiculousness happens. And, of course, in Detroit, we can appreciate a team like the 05 White Sox because we had the 04 Pistons, who's the first NBA champion, 2004 NBA champions, and none of them had a top 75. The <laughs> first team, only I think the only group of champions without a top 75 player, the only championship wow. team without a top 75 player. How crazy is that? Do you think I'm curious, do you think that the Pacers could have done what the Pistons did if they had won that Eastern Conference final series? I don't, but that's only because I think that the Pacers did not have someone as special as Ben Wallace. And people have to understand what Ben Wallace did. Ben Wallace, the Pistons didn't double Shaquille O'Neal. Now think about that. Now, I know Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle would have automatically said, okay, we got to double Shaq. And that's what every, because everyone doubled Shaq because you said, okay, we got to, what's the first thing you do when you think about those Laker teams? And, and God rest his soul, man, late, great Kobe Bryant. The thing that made those Laker teams dominant was Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, Kobe was great, but you, at the top of your list of, of what's going to kill you, 
is Shaquille O'Neal. And so I don't think the Pacers, because I, I thought about that. Who would the Pacers have put on them? Jermaine? Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Austin Crocher. Oh, I mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shaq, well, and think about this, man. Rick Smiths couldn't do anything with Shaq. Dikembe Mutombo couldn't do anything with Shaq. Ben Wallace was so fundamentally sound defensively and so intelligent. And then just at the end of the day, so dang on strong, man, that I think the Lakers didn't know what to do because all of those Lakers shooters were like, wait a minute, you aren't, you aren't like, no, I'm not leaving you, you know, um, Rick Fox and all these other Robert Ory and all. I mean, and it was the Lakers look completely uncomfortable. I think the Pacers would have doubled and would have lost in five. Yeah, Reggie it's Miller just, will take it to his grave that they would have won that series. They had never. They would have. And I know why Reggie's saying that, but no, because yeah. they weren't. They weren't going to stop Kobe, and they had absolutely no answer for Shaq. Um, you know, it. It's. It's a great thought. It's a phenomenal thought, Reggie. Which is why you <laughs> sitting sitting at home with no rings, but it's a phenomenal <laughs> thought. <laughs> All right, I want to ask you about one more Detroit sports thing before we talk some Survivor. Uh, we, we haven't talked about the Lions very much. Oh, good, thank you, Matthew. Oh wait, Stafford. now we're going to. I I want to mention. I just want to mention Matthew Stafford. He goes out, spreads his wings, wins a Super Bowl. Happy for him. I am happy for him because. Matt Stafford signed every autograph and took every interview and whatever people thought of him as a quarterback, I genuinely believe he gave everything he had. I never felt like he shortchanged the contract, never felt like he shortchanged the city. <clears throat> One of the things that people love about him. And I, cause I, I was, at first I was really upset. I was angry. People were doing the whole support Stafford and Detroit Rams and all this stuff. And I had to take a step back and remember, we. so we have an organization here called Catch. And it was Sparky Anderson's charity that he started. Jim Hughes is a good friend of mine. He's the executive director. And, you know, he's a big Stafford fan. And I have to remember, Matt and Kelly Stafford were huge, huge in the in the charitable community. I mean, they gave their money and their time all across Metro Detroit. And when you do that, you endear yourself to people as a human being, right? It, it goes beyond football or sports. They had an impact on people's lives. And so I had to kind of take a step back and say, there are people who wanted him to win. It wasn't because they're, they're Lions fans who see no hope, even though we are Lions fans who occasionally see no hope. But it was because you genuinely wanted something good for him after everything that he had done for this city. And so I kind of took a step back. Now, it still bothers me that, you know, because, again, I'm a I'm a loyal I'm a loyal dude. I don't wear other jerseys or anything like that, man. My team is my team. And so it 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 feels wrong. But at the same time, knowing what he gave. Knowing what they both gave. I'm I'm happy for him. I'm really I'm I'm genuinely happy for him. And also at the end of the day, you know, it is true, man. It wasn't him. He wasn't the problem in Detroit. But I think many of us knew that. It's yeah. just the dang the dang on contract almost got me. The contract <laughs> was so big 
that I think it just when you make that kind of when you're the highest paid player in the league, if you don't get your team to an NFC championship, people are going to always say what you're overpaid. Right. I mean, that's just how that goes. Yeah, I think it's really like he was kind of the best kept secret and us Midwesterners knew about it because there are a lot of people in national media are like, oh, this Stafford, he's actually really good. Who knew? They're surprised. I think this guy is uh, we won't talk about Hall of Fame. We got time for that today. But I mean, like, I just think this guy (laughs) has had a great career. And I mean, so much of it is a situation. And, you know, God bless Russell Wilson. But if they were in different if they had been in each other's situations, if Matthew Stafford was a quarterback for the Seahawks for the last 10 years, he would be talked about the way that Russell Wilson's been talked about. Well, and a big argument here was always, okay, whose team? Like, so it's, I, I'm a huge believer in professional sports. You have to establish identity. Culture and identity are huge. And that's that's been told to me by coaches and players, man. When you're playing for a team, like we talk about the Pistons, identity, culture. All great teams have identity and culture. And so when the when the Lions were, it looked like they were, they were really on the uptick is when you had Ndamukong Sue, Nick Fairley, Caldwell, and that team was really developing a, a defensive identity, almost in a lot of ways, like the kind of like the Rams. You had an imposing interior, and they were getting to the quarterback, and you had Megatron on the outside, Staff. And what the Lions went and did is they gave Stafford an extension he wasn't due for, and financially it just – I think financially it sent the wrong message. It definitely rubbed Sue the wrong way. And really you could argue that this organization losing losing Sue was probably the single biggest blow because we really didn't recover after that. It, the team has never been the same defensively and our identity and our culture was never firmly established because then it just became, we were looking at Matt like, okay, go, Go through touchdowns and get us there, and you never gotta gotta handle us. Are the Lions an offensive team or a defensive team? And you know what Caldwell was able to do was just kind of keep some professionalism, and you know then he gets the boot, and the rest is just misery, as I like to say. All right, well we'll move on from that for <laughs> for now. We'll, let's talk. Thank you, bit. thank you. Yes. Take a break. I can I can I can cry. I hate talking <laughs> about my Lions. I love my Lions. I got Lions hats here in my office, but man, they make me cry. I got, I got a Lions helmet here. <laughs> That's awesome. I was a big fan of Barry Sanders. I I he missed wasn't. him when he played, but I remember seeing the highlights when I was a little kid. And the backyard football video game came out. Uh, remember the backyard sports games? Yeah. Yeah, he was. I would uh, tear it up with Barry Sanders on my backyard football team, Man, and then use them in the old like when you could play with the retro teams in madden like whatever happened to that madden stinks now bring that back bring back the retro teams listen people always talk about the whole best running back and all this stuff and i just i look at it like i've asked i've talked to two different nfl defensive coordinators and and they've told me the only way to look at it is by this who would you rather deal with and all of them to a man said no piece of barry sanders because you can't, there's nothing you can do. Like, you just can't, there's no fun. He, he eclipses it's like a black hole that defies the law of physics. You go to tackle this person and you can't because his legs are going this way, his body's going that way, and he's shaking. And it's just, you know, I'm very sad there's two ACLs, man. 
He tore ACLs. <laughs> he was amazing. So, Clarence, let's talk some Survivor here. Um, yes. Tell me how you got on the show. That's the best place to start. Never apply for it. True story. I I was one of the first people to get on the show that was kind of what we call a direct cast. I had applied to Big Were Brother. Were you the first? I don't know if I was the first. I know that I was out in L.A. interviewing for Big Brother, and Lynn Spillman called me the day I was going home and said, hey, listen, um, I got good news, bad news. Bad news is we may not want you for Big Brother. The good news is we might want you for Survivor. Are you up for it? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I, But I only looked at it as the difference between a, an opportunity to win a million versus 500,000. I just, it was math to me. I hadn't watched either show, so I didn't really care. Um, but that's that's literally what happened. It's really interesting that that's how they brought you over to the show. You hadn't seen either Big Brother or Survivor, so what drew no. you to the to reality television? Man, I was just uh, I was out of college and I was I was miserable doing what I was doing at the time. I was a uh, a young financial consultant. I won't say the name of the the firm. Um, but the logo's a bull. Anyway, so <laughs> I I was miserable doing what I was doing. And I used to hook up with my cousin and we get together every like Tuesday and just drink and just complain about our lives. And <laughs> we were watching this show, man. It was just god awful reality show called Boot Camp, which ironically is before I joined the military. And that's where they would take all these these people. It was I think it was a Fox show or something. At that point, at that point, Survivor was such a ratings a ratings machine that everybody started throwing out. I don't know if you remember like the, the early two thousands, like probably from 2002 through 2008, it was just like the wild West of just yeah. God awful <laughs> reality shows. And so my cousin and I would watch this, this show called Boot Camp, and it was so bad. And we were thinking like, yo, I was like, I looked at it one day and I was like, dude, we could do that. And he was like, yeah, I was like, no, I was like, no, listen, let's pick the worst reality show we can find and let's just apply. And maybe we go out <laughs> for interviews. And I, my goal was to go hang out in L.A. for a week. I never thought I would get picked. So season one of Big Brother, I, again, I hadn't seen it, but I guess it was just it was a train wreck. It was just bad. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to apply. Let's apply for it. I apply because I'm just that kind of person, right? If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I apply. My cousin didn't apply. And I get flown out. And the rest is history. But to this day, I've always wondered, would I have done better on Big Brother? I definitely don't think I would have stolen food on Big Brother. Because <laughs> they had plenty of food. And then I think I might have had a better social. Because, man, they got to work out. And they were hooking up. And. I was young and single and debaucherous. <laughs> I think I could have. I think I could have made it, man. <laughs> yeah, you you probably work out what like five hours a day in that house. So what else would you do? You know, I mean, I don't think there's much to do except just talk talk crap and and talk crap, hook up and work out, man. Wait for a <laughs> challenge. I mean, it's everything great about Survivor minus the actual having to deal with the elements. So yeah, but. I think the downside to Big Brother in 2022, I almost said 2021, is these live feeds where people yeah. are these obsessed 
crazy internet people are going to take anything you say out of context and say, oh, I don't like that guy. He said this. He's a terrible person. Let's take him down and try to ruin the person's life. I think that's the problem with it I, now. I could not imagine. Well, that's the problem with everything now, man. Every, yeah. Everyone now is so everyone now is so sensitive. But not only that, man, you got people that are now digging into their lives. Like somebody's like, oh, this contestant, I was it? one of our contestants had some tweet when they were like 13 or 14 or something. And it was, I mean, it's just, man, we live in this day and age now where people are hunting for your dirt. You know, I, if, if I had to play today, I think my challenge would not be could I play the game? My challenge would be, could I handle all of the ancillary stuff? Right. Um, I haven't played survivor in 20 years. I would love to go back. Um, I think I would be a phenomenal player. Now. I definitely want to, to have the chance to show people who I am today. But at the same time, I was thinking about this, like, man, I got teenage kids and I don't want some idiot doing something or going at my kids online because they don't deserve that you know if i would have had to have done survivor could you imagine me stealing food now man in 2022 oh lord it would have been it have been a nightmare so i have a lot of respect for the people that play now because it's just harder to play so much of it has been done that i just it'd be interesting it would be very interesting to go back and play now i would be very interested to see how my strategy would have evolved <laughs> would you do it if they called yes yes and it's taken me a long time to get there because the minute i was done with survivor i was done and i did some i did some of the reunion stuff and things like that but i never wanted to i never wanted to just sit in it i never wanted it to define me and so i really went about the business of kind of starting my life and I've always said if they ask, I would go. They've never asked. Um, now it's been 21 years. I've got kids. My kids are old enough now where people and their friends will kind of say, hey, you know, your dad stole food. I would like my legacy to not be that. But at the same time, man, I'm a major in the Army. I've got business interests. I've got a full plate. I would love to do it. Um, that's up to them. <laughs> That's up to CBS. And I don't know, I don't know how they make those decisions. I mean, they have their people. I've always said this though. Well, we bring back fan favorites. Well, you know how you become a fan favorite? You play. If you play twice, you're probably gonna be a bigger fan favorite than if you played once 20 years ago. So the further away from our seasons you get, I think it'd be cool to reintroduce us. You know, in the 20 years since I've been on the show, I've had four kids. I've served my country. I'm currently still serving my country. I've done a lot of different things. So I don't like to use the term like I've earned a second chance because I don't think it's about earn. But I think there's definitely a story to tell if they were willing to do that right. But, man, I don't even know who makes those decisions for casting or whatever. Um, I think I've, I've I think they know who I am. If they want to use me, great. If not, it'll it'll be what it be. But, yeah, I'd love to play. I got a better idea, better idea than bringing you back. Oh, bring back. So are you familiar? You paying attention to the real world? You know what the real world's been up to lately? No, what's up? 
Okay, so the real world did. Did you ever watch it back in the day? Yeah, man, I watched the. Listen, so it, funny story. I am a member of the reality TV Hall of Shame, apparently, and I went in it, season. It's a joke that Puck. that's. A, what was that? You were you're <laughs> in, in with, with Puck. Puck. <laughs> I went in with Puck. I'm like I'm in Puck's class. So that's that insane. Funny as hell, because I watched that, man. <laughs> Right, I am a member of the reality TV That's, Hall of Shame. For that was food. Clarence. We'll talk about the bean thing in a little bit, but that was you got to That was wrong, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad sorry. you have a sense of humor about it. I do. I do. After 20 years, I had to. Okay, so the real world, the original season in New York, they brought it in Paramount Plus. They decided let's do the real world Homecoming and have the original cast get together for two weeks in the same loft in wow. New York. I think they should do Survivor Africa Homecoming. Basically bring the whole wow. cast back and have you guys play again 20 years later. Because I you can't that do it with Borneo. Because some of the members of Borneo are gone. And yeah. then um Africa, there might be someone that maybe wouldn't be welcome back. But Africa, yeah. man, yeah. that would be yeah. well it's funny too because you know obviously Australia's got a, they had a legal issue and then, yeah. you know, we ended up with a legal issue. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it'd be, that's something, man. That is, that is very interesting to see how, I mean, I, I would venture to say we got some people, I don't know who, if their bodies would be able to hold up, but they could know, have a smaller, years. you could do like maybe, you know, you had 16 people, maybe you only have 12 this time. <laughs> that would be, that would be really interesting, man. There would be some, uh, that would be fun. But, uh, I'll tell you what, we had a uh, we had a Zoom reunion um, last year before I left for deployment. And uh, it was so much fun. And it was so awesome to see those faces, man. It really was. I'm so proud of, of my season. And it was that people forget how crazy of a time that was because we aired a month. We were pre we were preempted by an hour because the president was giving his. 30 days after 9-11 address. We aired October 11, 2001. And we aired, I think, at, at 9 o'clock because President Bush was speaking to the nation. <clears throat> uh, Rosie O'Donnell, we were the first season. We didn't get cars and Rosie didn't host the show because she was even upset that they even had our season on. So, And I'm still mad at Rosie O'Donnell to this day because it was be. just... It, it, I wanted my Saturn view. I still want my Saturn view. <laughs> and if she see, and and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue because I'm typically very very foul mouthed about Rosie, <laughs> but it's only because 20, 23 year old Clarence Black wants his car. And if she's seeing this, Rosie, I want my car. I want my Saturn view. <laughs> we still got Brian Gumble though, man, who did a great job. It's just uh, I'm. I'm very proud of my season. They're they're phenomenal people. They're some of the best people I've ever met, and uh, I'm I'm I will be forever, I will be forever honored and grateful to CBS for giving me the opportunity. Man, it's it changed my life, and that's why I say if I never do it again, I get it because I I know enough about the industry to know that those decisions don't get made in a bubble. So. You know, I know they're somewhere sitting around and, and if my name gets brought up, somebody's like, ah, well, maybe this per I mean, that, so I, it's, it's, it's what it be, man. It's what it be. That's a phrase yeah. I don't think I've ever said before. It's what it be. It be what it, I, <laughs> I tell like my it. kids that all the time. I tell my kids all the time, man, it be, it be what it be. And <laughs> that they just, and that's to encourage them to kind of just 
don't think so much about the why and the like, you know, my daughter just, my, my daughter just broke up with some boy and she's like, yeah, but we're not talking. And I'm going to say like, well, what do you think was going to happen? Pumpkin? Like, you know, it's like, you crushed his voice. I was like, yeah, but I thought, and I'm like, sweetie, it'd it be what it'd be. He'll talk to you when he's ready. It's boys, boys, boys fracture easy. <laughs> Very We're tender hearted. We're tender hearted yeah. creatures. <laughs> so why do you think Africa didn't catch on as a very popular season? I mean, it's one of my favorite. Okay. So I've been watching since the start. I was five years old when Borneo aired and I've been watching, actually didn't watch this last season, but I watched all, the, all 40 when they aired the first 40 and loved the show. Africa's a top five season for me. I think it's one of the best seasons the show's had. I think the location and the way they embed the culture into it, the local culture and the challenges were awesome. There's so much wildlife in it. You have an outstanding cast. The story's interesting. Why is it that this season has not been one that, while there are some, I know a lot of, we're not, we're not going to compare it to newer seasons because I think there's like a newer fan out there that just hasn't gone back and watched the old seasons. But even at the time, Africa wasn't quite as popular as Australia or even Marquesas or some of those seasons around that time. Jeff Probst and Dalton Ross, they've ranked their seasons and Africa typically shows up near the bottom. What is it that, why didn't people give Africa a chance? I firmly believe that that was just a difficult time for the nation. So if you go back and you really look at that time, and remember, when those planes hit the towers, the world changed. And the way that people process information changed. The day that I flew into, I flew into New York Thanksgiving 2001. There was still smoke coming from the, the ground zero because they were doing the cleanup. And so you did it just the, i think the world had i mean the world was trying to move on but if you look at what people were doing people were still there were people who turned on the news and didn't change it so even then survivor we were still a top 10 show even yeah, as number eight that, we number still, eight we were still a top 10 show at a time when much of the nation was distracted and honestly so understandably so because our country had just been attacked. And so there was nothing to compare that to. Imagine that happened in January instead of September, right? Then Marquesas or whoever came on after us that they had to deal with that. I think they would have would have had the same feeling. And like you said, Rose, when Rosie said, I don't want anything to do with Survivor right now, I don't think it was her lashing out at our cast or who, it was just her saying like, you shouldn't even have this show come on right now. It's just called Survivor. It's not an indictment on people who are really trying to survive 9-11. But that was just some of the silliness that was kind of floated out there. And I think that's part of it. You, you can't disassociate the show from the time. And also, remember what happened a month. So a month after... 9-11 the world series and think about this now people started doing what god bless america right yep so 
that's what I'm saying, man. And then the 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 Yankees and the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks had this crazy World Series that was just you know, and the the Super Bowl and just it's just like everything just felt magnified. And then here are little people playing a game show, and it was just kind of like, and and the thing I've heard from people like you is after the fact is. You know, man, when I go back, people that have had a chance to kind of go back are like, yo, y'all season was like you all were going at it. Just it was like the cast and the environment was harsh. And I think that that was another thing, too, is it was a harsh environment. There was no water. We weren't laying around the beach. We weren't like ah, we weren't like frolicking about. <laughs> and, you know, there weren't a whole bunch of excuses to have our shirts off because we were in the water and it wasn't like. You know, Hunter out there like, oh, I think that we should go to the stream. And I mean, no, man, it wasn't that. It was uh, it was just heavy. And I think a lot of that had to do with 9-11. I think 9-11 had a, a – it's hard to disassociate. If you were looking at it live, right, if you, if you remember where you were – now, for you, you were probably, what, in the seventh grade or – no. No. God, you were in the – Second, second grade. Second grade, yeah. Second grade. So when I meet people during that time, they always remember a little bit about it, but not everything. It's people who watched it after the fact. Like I'll meet people who went, What season of Survivor were you on? I was like, Africa. And they were like, Well, wow, what was going on? I'm like, 9 11. They were like, Oh, that's right. Because people watched the news. They were glued. Ask your mom and dad post 9 11. I guarantee they'll tell you every night. It was just you were watching the news, and then it was the, then and from that point it was the road to war, and then so it was just a very odd time. I genuinely believe that because I would put us up against anybody in terms of like the actual competitiveness, um, the skill with which the game was played. It was a very good season. Top five seasons for me: Survivor, Palau, Survivor. Uh, Pearl Islands, Survivor Amazon, Survivor Africa, Survivor Marquesas. I think those are the five best seasons. Only, only watched. I only watched one. I'm <laughs> <laughs> serious. Only watched one, man. I've never watched the full season of it. Um, I was tempted to watch the one where they split people up by race because I thought, like, that's that's different, dangerous, but but different. <laughs> Um, but no, I just never watched it. And I was, again, I was always busy, man. I'm, I am not a, I am a, I am a rolling stone. I get moving. I'm gone. So, but I, I feel, I feel, I feel 100% in my, in my heart of hearts. Like I will play again because I think it just makes sense. Um, Army officer, father of four, still in great shape. I still look good. I mean, I look amazing. Even as I look at myself right now on the camera, <laughs> I'm like, God, I look good. <laughs> so, no, I, I think I'll play again. And here's my here's my promise. When I play, I won't be playing for me. I'm playing for uh, for veterans. I'm going to give it, whatever I win. I'm giving all of it away to a uh, veterans charity of my choice. Um I don't want to say something arrogant, like I don't need the money. I just, I think if God blessed me with that opportunity, it would be important that I I bless somebody else. So my wife and I have worked very hard. We've talked about it, you know, and 
at that point I will be playing for legacy, not for money. And if I can bless somebody else with that money, whatever it is, whatever place I come in, then uh, I'll be, I will be excited about that. I think as much as anything. Hey, I think there's another path for you. If they, you know, there, there's Paramount plus they got the real world homecoming. They also have the challenge <laughs> all stars. I don't know if you know about that show. No, man. There's the, the real world road rules challenge. You ever watch it? You, you, are you familiar with it? No, I am, but I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not a, I'm no, not yeah, a real yeah. world role. I'm not, right. I'm not one of those. Okay. So, so that you know. show was big, obviously it's still on yeah. and everyone's like, well, we want to see the, the OGs of the challenge. We don't want to see these new people oh, okay. from like, you know, cause they're casting people from the bachelor and whatever. And people, people are losing interest. And so they had this idea of like, well, let's just have the challenge all-stars where we only cast people from the original season. So oh. that's what they should do on Paramount plus is do like a survivor all-stars with people from only the first 10 seasons or something like that. That would be amazing, man. You should pitch that. You should pitch that. You need to introduce um, me to these people. <laughs> hey, whatever you need, <laughs> whatever you need. So Africa toughest season. I, I know you didn't watch a whole lot of other seasons, but I, I believe it looked like it was the toughest physically in terms of the terrain and where you were living. Um, you had lions. Was that, were you there when the lions were coming up to the camp and you had to keep the yeah. fire going? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. When you, I told people this story, when you, I, I, the only lion that I was familiar with was lions that are at the Detroit zoo and then the MGM lion at the beginning of the movies, right? Who has that, <laughs> that <laughs> magnificent roar, A, an actual lion, sound it the here's how i describe it when you actually hear a real lion if you're a man imagine your testicles just kind of shriveling up and going back <laughs> it is it is the most i have never been so just brought to sheer like not just you kind of just <laughs> Your place, your place on the food chain is just so. It's it is it is really truly a a, a humbling humbling, it is humbling, and so the other aspect, man, was we didn't have water, so I think that's what made it grueling too. Was there wasn't this, and it was hot, so it wasn't like there was just some great pool, because in Africa all your water sources are filled with stuff that'll kill you, dead like Crocs and all that other. So when I look at some of these seasons and they're out and they're, ah, la, 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 and they're playing in water and just, I'm like, what is this man? You know, it was harsh and it was hard. It was harsh mentally too, because we were around each other all the time. We couldn't, there was no place to go. Like we went to our water source, which was filled with elephant crap every day, every day. Now, I don't know what the African elephant has about pooping in water. <laughs> I, I'm I'm to this I'm telling you, but they do it. So we had to clean that every day. Every day. I mean, it seems like though, even though it was tough, I feel like you have the most full survivor experience in terms of surviving the elements. Like oh, you meet yeah. You meet these people at the charity events over the years and you could just be like, yeah. Oh, you were at a beach. Nice. Yeah. Well, we were, we were in Kenya. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we had to build our berm. Like I, I, I try and explain to people. It is like, 
razor sharp thorned wire. Like we had to actually build it, like stack it up. They were like, yeah, this is one of the things you have to do. And I'm looking at them like, y'all didn't do this for us? Like, what? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, you got to make a door. We had to make a door with our berm. I'm, oh, I was so pissed. I was mad. Almost got me again. I was. <laughs> oh, you can say mad. that. That one's good for okay. PG. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was pissed. I was pissed. Yeah, there you go. Because it was. It was just like, man, this is not. I was like, this is not cool. Dude. Ethan got bit by a scorpion. There are two types of scorpions in Africa. Like, one can kill you, and the other one, eh, just a bruise. Ethan got bit. We didn't know which one. <laughs> oh I, drew, I kid you not. We were like, Ethan's like, something bit me. We looked, and we were like, is that the <laughs> – so they had to, like – man, they had to call it in. Like, it was like, is Ethan going to die? <laughs> kid you not. Oh gosh. Me and oh Tom almost gosh. got killed by a Cape Buffalo. Tom was climbing up trees, and I look, and I'm like, man, that's a Cape Buffalo. And it's close enough. That it was like it could eat me, and it wouldn't eat me. It would just kill me, just hit me at full speed. It's like getting hit by an SUV with spears wow. at, on the front. Like no, as I think about it, like yeah, no, it, Africa was horrible. It was fun, but it was it was legit. It was tough. Clarence, was tough. um, you were voted out at the merge, and it's. I think what's really interesting is your cast seems like it's pretty close in terms of a lot of other casts might not like each other as much. Um, a lot of people kind of talking back at the time. I know you had talked about, I think when you got voted out that you really cared a lot about these people that you were living with. And what I think is interesting is I, I I'm curious to hear your perspective on things of why they voted you out. My read was, okay, they just watched Colby win five straight challenges. This is a strong guy, and he we don't want him to win all these immunities to the end. So they got rid of you earlier than that you probably thought that they would get rid of you. But over the years, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, yeah, they really hated Clarence ever since the Bean thing, and that maybe there was a little bit of racism in entrenched in some of that what was your take on all of that because it seems like maybe maybe there was maybe things weren't great back then but i've only heard ethan tom lex these guys say tremendous things about you over the years so i was 24 and at the time i because i didn't watch the show i didn't know alliances and anything i really played the show fresh and that is something that most people don't do now. Most people that play the show now, they already, they have their strategy. They've read books. I mean, they're super fans. A lot of people that play the show are legit fans. They just, they know what they're getting into. We were, and this is why I say the early seasons are very interesting to watch because it, it's in a lot of ways, it's like watching old, an old football game. Like right when the forward pass was still relatively new <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to like, you're kind of it's like, Oh, that's interesting. So <laughs> I just kind of played a very by the seat of my pants game. I didn't have, I guess I, mean, I didn't have strategy. I was just a 24 year old kid from Detroit and I played the game like a 24 year old kid from Detroit. So what I didn't know was I didn't know that Lex and Tom and Ethan and Kim and had an alliance that they formed shortly after we got there um, that I wasn't going to be a part of anyway. So like somebody said, well, you know, did the whole bean thing ruin your alliances? And I was like, I don't think it did because I wasn't talking to anybody about alliances. 
Like I had never had an alliance conversation. I never had an alliance conversation when I was out there, except for when I told T I would, I wouldn't, you know, that I would go out the way I went out. I had never, I never even used the word alliance. I had people talk to me about alliance, but I never used the word. So I look at it very simply that they understood the season before Kobe went on this crazy run. I think they knew more than anything. I'm a wild card. I think that's what I proved more than anything was we don't have any idea what he's going to do. So we got to get him out because we can't trust him to maintain. I don't think they understood. I was going to be loyal to Baron. I felt very Baron loyal, which is why when we merged in hindsight, right? So let's take hindsight. What I should have done in hindsight. And I told T this, I should have joined up with T Frank, Kim and Brandon. I should have, but in my mind, just me being me and me being, and I'm a loyal person. I was like, well, I can't betray my, my tribe. The people that I'm with, I have to stay tight to the people that I'm with. I didn't know that the people, and, and here's the thing Silas told me and teeth tried to tell me like, these people don't have your back, but I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me process that a, because I was hungry and thirsty and, because your brain don't work. And this is what I try to tell people. Like, you are watching Survivor from your couch. When we're playing it, man, we have a billion emotions that are going on. We're tired. We're frustrated. We're hungry. We're irritated. We're, you know, we got a billion emotions going on. And we got to make decisions in a short amount of time. And so I had to play. It's like poker. You ever watch poker? Yeah, a little bit. It's easy to play poker when you can see the whole cards, right? When you can see everybody's hand. Oh, well, you should do this and you should do that. Well, man, when you're in real time, it's like decisions don't work that way. So it never dawned on me to to join with anybody that wasn't in, in Baran because that was just how my mind worked because I hadn't watched the show. So I didn't have a thought process of look out for yourself. I was still thinking like, even though I had the issue with the food, I was naive enough to think, oh, well, we're still a team. I didn't understand how that changed their perception of me because Silas was trying to say, like, me, you need to join up because I got people coming at me and your people coming at you and we need to do something. And then T was like, don't join Silas. He's a problem for me and Frank. And and then I look at it in hindsight, like, oh, you were so stupid. but. It was just me being loyal and me thinking the easiest way for me to play the game is to stay loyal. And it wasn't until I understood, oh, I'm in trouble that. And even when they told me that I, I, I had enough time to go and make some deals, I just didn't have the energy because somebody told me, like, you were the, I'm the first person to know ahead of time they're getting voted out. They're like, why did you do something? And I'm like. I was just done and I was tired. Like I understood mentally my, like my, my mind knew what to do. My body was just like, all right, cool. And I think it was just more or less like the people I was with saying, like, we don't want you. And I was just like, all right. So Clarence, uh, we hinted at the bean thing earlier and we only got a few more minutes here. So we'll wrap yeah. up shortly. 
But uh, you you mentioned the bean thing. So for those who don't know, if you didn't watch it, you don't remember, the tribe went off and Clarence, there was a woman on his tribe named Diane. And she was she appeared to be very sick. Great lady. Great lady. Love that lady. Amazing and, lady. And uh, she was struggling. And Clarence. And she did, was sick. She was sick. And, and was I think sick. Clarence did something that. I will say I would do if I, I mean, I'm 27 years old. I think of like someone like my mom, if she's not doing well, I'm going to do anything that I can to help her make her feel better. And so Clarence uh, cooked up some beans and they, he gave it to Diane and he had some himself. The tribe gets back and it was not a very good uh, experience for Clarence after that. So I want you to kind of tell your side of the story and uh, share whatever thoughts you have on the matter. Man, listen, so I decided she didn't feel well, didn't have water or didn't have a lot of water. And I was like, look, all right, I'm going to open up these can of beans because it's what I want to do. And I gave her some and I had some because I was also hungry. So people say stole food. I took food. I made the decision to open up a can of beans because it was something I felt was best for her and me. And I didn't care that I was supposed to, because I, what I was supposed to do was because they were rations. We were all supposed to, everything was for all of us. It wasn't mine to open. I felt differently about it. It was mine to open. Cause, and I tell people this all the time. If survival was real, they're like, well, what would you really do if it was a really real? I was like, well, the first thing I would have done is probably kill three different people. <laughs> probably probably <laughs> and they're like wait i was like yeah i'd have been negan so i watched the walking dead and everybody's like ah oh, negan i'm like no i kind of kind of kind of like that guy get where he's from. <laughs> he gotta establish some control i'd have been out there to look if i could have been out there with a leather jacket and lucille and i'd have just set lex and tom and them down i'd have been like i need you to know me so, but no, man, it was just, it honestly, it was 24 year old me being 24 year old me and didn't think anything about it. Now, what's scary though, is that I was the only one offering to stay back and help her because no, <laughs> nobody was willing to, I'm like, yo, if this lady is sick, we in the middle of Africa, y'all just going to leave her and they were going to leave her. And I'm like, man, I don't seem right. So, you know, how in the movies, they always say like the life you save. I should have, and so in hindsight, I should have left with my tribe and left her and left her there to just be sick because they weren't going to let her die, right? CBS wasn't going to let her just die, but in hindsight, being nice. So I, but again, that's me. I'm just looking at her like, and, and I kid you not, you could ask any one of them this, man, anyone that was on my tribe, you all really were just going to leave her there. Now, unless she was gold-bricking and she was sicker than she made herself out to be, man, I think that it's more of a character failing on them and that by me staying behind, I had every right to make a welfare decision. Now, I admit that I ate some of those beans too and they were delicious. They were red. <laughs> they were they were white beans in a red sauce. And they were amazing. <laughs> That's how hungry I was. I remember the beans. White beans in a red sauce. <laughs> that's awesome okay last thing i want to know and then i'll give yeah. you a chance to plug and promote anything you want to 
Um, I want to know, because just circling back to kind of where we all started, was you had mentioned Mark Burnett saying, you're going to have an opportunity from this show to do any number of things that you want to try to go after. And you mentioned how you got drawn into this. You were really excited about this opportunity. And I think what a lot of people might not realize is back in the day, 30 million people watched Survivor every single week. These people became celebrities. I'm sure you met a lot of big time stars at that time. In those original days, it really meant something to be on Survivor in the or, or Big Brother or The Apprentice or whatever. These shows were massive juggernauts. Um, yeah. I'm curious what that ride was like. How long did that last where you were going to events, you were meeting all kinds of celebrities? What's something about that world and just that journey that you had in your early 20s that a lot of people might not know about? You know, it's it's funny. I think the biggest thing you learn is just how impactful celebrity can be. You know, because um, I didn't, I never thought of myself as a celebrity. I still don't. Still, I'm hundred percent not. But when someone waits in a line for an hour, I mean, I think we were in Nebraska. Um, Diane was having an event, and a lady said, "I've been in line for an hour and a half, and you were the one I really wanted to get." And I think it humbles you because I'm thinking like, lady, I'm just a kid from Detroit. Like I'm not, I am nobody you should be waiting in line for, but it, it helped me understand the power of platform and, you know, the responsibility that you have to sign everything. And that was the thing that got me about the ride was I kept thinking like, yo, we didn't do anything except compete in this stupid game. But you know, that, that did something for people and it had an impact on people. And I think that I will always cherish that. And that is why I tried my best to, to sign everything. And every now and then I get stuff from people and it's like, man, index cards and photos. And I mean, I think once the only thing I, only thing I actually threw away is a guy sent me some underwear, women's underwear, believe it or not, a guy from a prison wanted me to sign those. And I went, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and not do that because I can't, I can't eh, leave that one alone. So, you know, it's, uh, and then every now and then, man, there'd be people that would step over the line, you know, but, but for the most part, the thing I remember about it is just how excited wherever we would go and do an event or something, how genuinely excited people would be to meet you and know stuff about you. And I mean, this one kid, like he knew my stats from college. He was like, yeah, <laughs> you shot some, some, something from the free, from the three point line. And I'm just like, it's scary. It's like, dude, that's, you shouldn't know that. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even think I know that. So I think that's the biggest thing, man. It's just the is... people, the people that the, the true survivor fans are bar none, man. I tell people, Star Wars fans and Survivor fans, because I am a Star Wars fan, best the the best fan base on the planet, and I think that's the reason I want to play again. Is I think it's it's to honor the fans that have met me, because people always say the same thing, like they're like, "Man, now that I met you, it's like you are so awesome." Like they kind of made you seem like you were just this kind of a hole, you know, <laughs> and stuffy, and I'm like. Yeah, no, not a Clarence Black's not an a hole. I'm actually, <laughs> a, 
I'm a pretty decent dude. And so, I, you know, I, and that's another reason. That's why I say I want to play in just, just legacy, man. I don't want my legacy to be, because then I got to explain it for the rest of my life. And people are like, oh, you know, I'll be a 60 year old man having to explain like what I did when I was 24. So, <laughs> like, come on, CBS. Well, uh, come on, CBS. <laughs> hopefully, you had a fun time explaining it today, did, taking man. a trip down memory lane. Clarence, you I absolutely did. crushed it. No bad words. Uh, no know, bleeps, man. no money going to charity. That's okay. And hey, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's great. Okay, what can people follow? Do you want to put out your social media handles? Are there any projects or things you're working on you'd like people to check out? No, man. Charity I, stuff. Like I said, I, listen, I, I genuinely... So Emanuel House in Detroit is a charity that we work with. I'm on a board there. Uh, we're always looking for donations. It's a veteran shelter in Detroit. Uh, so look up Emanuel House Detroit. It should send you right to our website. And it's um, it's vets. We take them from homeless and drug addicted. We get them clean. We get them jobs. It's a phenomenal shelter. Um, we do a lot of great work there. Other than that, you know, I just, um, you know, obviously people know what's going on in the world. So, you know, definitely pray for uh, the Ukraine, pray for our country. You know, we, we need a lot of healing right now. Um, you know, it's, it, those are the things that are, that I think are, are most important for me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm enjoying life, man. And I'm, I'm hoping, I am hoping that um, things stay stable globally, that I don't have to go put a uniform on and go do anything else. Cause I, uh, that would be really, that would be really, really bad. Mm. Well, we'll be praying for you and uh, thank you so much for your time today, Clarence. Hopefully you had fun and hopefully you'd like, to I come did. Back I had a blast, man. I, I, I will. And when I come back, I have to tell you, so Teresa had a, a love baby in Africa that stayed there that no one's supposed to know about, <laughs> but it's true. She had a love baby named, named Bobu. So everybody out there, hit Teresa up and ask her about <laughs> Bobu the love baby because she did. She had a she had a, a Survivor Africa love baby. I'm not saying it's mine, <laughs> but I know it was given up for adoption. It was. She gave up a Bobu the love baby. She gave it up for adoption while we were over there. Bobu the I, love yeah, baby. Ask her about it. Bobu Wait, the what, love what's baby. her Twitter? Let's see. Can we tweet? What is it? At T Bird Cooper. Let's I'm not see. sure. I'm let gonna let look. you handle it, but you can tell her like Clarence let the cat out of the bag about <laughs> Bobu the love baby. So he says she's got a 21 year old, 21 year old boy in Africa. <laughs> He's half African, half Georgia Southern Bell. <laughs> At T Bird Cooper on Twitter. I'm hoping to see Bobu. her next week. I'm driving all the way to Florida two days, and I'm gonna Bobu. hopefully see her in Atlanta on the way. And it's B-O hyphen B-O-O, Bobu. <laughs> Bobu. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Clarence. This was a blast. My man. All right, Jeff. All right, folks. That concludes our conversation today with Clarence Black from Survivor Africa and a guy who's been in this media game a long time, knows a lot of sports, and was cool to talk some faith with him, too. Hopefully, you guys all enjoyed Today's episode of the Jack Vita Show. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button, subscribe. Subscribe on any platform that you get this podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Amazon, you name it. We're on all of them. So make sure you hit subscribe and leave a five-star review. 
We'll be back again soon with more great content, more great guests coming soon. And my goodness, March Madness is coming up in about two and a half weeks. So we're going to have a big Selection Sunday show when we get there on Selection Sunday. I'll be live. We'll break down the tournament, the, the bracket, as we always do. It should be a good time. So make sure you guys all subscribe to the Jack Vita Show, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs>